0: talk a little bit about tiny Esther because that's where we're at so today is a, a special day it is a Yom kihil lakal as rashi puts it in the beginning of mesechus megillah so it's a day in which we fast and a day in which we gather and we do the tfilos that are associated with fasting and slichos and kriyasa torah and the like And there's a lot to understand about Tinus Esther. It's an unusual kind of fast. The idea of having a fast right before Purim is itself striking. And there's also an unusual policy, which may seem on the surface like it makes sense, that if Purim were to fall out on Sunday, So then we're not going to have the fast on Shabbos, not going to have the fast the day before. We also don't like having fasts on Friday if we can avoid it. So the practice is to push the fast up to Thursday. And that's unusual because what happens more often is Tisha B'Av, Shabbat they often fall out on Shabbos and the practice is to push those up to Sunday. Now, you might say, okay, well here, if you're going to push the fast down, it means it's going to be unperm. It's not going to work so well, so it kind of makes sense to move it in the other direction. But on the surface, that is at odds with a rule the Gemara has that, that we don't push perm up. we don't push per, but perusa, we don't push up that which is negative that which is connected with disaster and the like. So therefore, since we assume that the fast days are days of negativity, so if we have to move them, we'd rather move them down and not move them up. So when it comes to Shabbos Batamas, to Shabbat, we move them to Sunday. So the moving of Tanya earlier is interesting. So to that, as Roshol and others commented the response seems to be that there is something different about Tynos Aster, that it's it's not a usual kind of fast where we have something very negative associated with it, but rather it is a fast of a different nature. And if you can hold such an idea in your head, as oxymoronic as it seems to sound... It's, uh, been car- it's been characterized as a tainus shal simcha. Right? The idea of not eating and somehow rejoicing certainly seems mutually exclusive, but apparently that's the idea, that this is a tainus that is not there to be sad about something, but rather it is there to convey something positive. And the role that it seems to have is a pursuing role, that all of Purim we are focused on Prismanissa and that is something that is crucial to the day and a part of what we are commemorating on Purim is also how the nace was brought about so the notion of tefillah that was a part of our reaction and even though it didn't happen in other the fasting that took place at that time was in Nissan, But we integrate into the story the fast experience as a way of being refacing the whole process of the Nase. And that perhaps has some interesting implications you know, as far as tonight. So we read the Megillah tonight, and it's a question as to what the timing needs to be. So we have... mitzvah to do at night so it's general a suffix when night starts you know we have the range of ben hashmashos from shkia to tzayz and setting aside the machlokas about when is shkia and when is tzayz without getting into that suffix let's pretend for a second we knew when shkia was and we knew when suffix we knew when tzayz was but still that whole zone in between the literal twilight zone is a time of suffake the kumara tells us so normally we have to address that suffake the policy could be different for different mitzvahs so for example when it comes to shabbos we are machmir shabbos we're dealing with serious didim in HaTorah. And that's why Shabbos turns out to be 25 hours long because on Friday we're a machmir to start Shabbos at the beginning of the twilight zone at Shkia, And on Motzi Shabbos, so we're a machmir to end Shabbos at the later time at the Sakho O'Chavon. So when it comes to different mitzvot, presumably there are different considerations at play. So here we're trying to figure out when nighttime is And we're dealing with a mitzvah that is presumably a mitzvah mitra And that should have allowed us to be mekel to start at shkia, which is significant, as we'll discuss, because also we assume, and we'll discuss why this is, we assume that we finish the fast after Kriyasa Megillah, so being able to read the Megillah earlier, is a significant help. So the idea of when we can read the Megillah becomes significant for a number of reasons. That's certainly one of them. So since on the surface we're dealing here with the Mitzvah of the so one would assume that we should have the right to be Mechel and to start reading at Shkia. Now this may or may not be comparable to Sfirah Saomer, so in a few weeks Four weeks we're going to start having the question of Svira. So, Svira touches on these issues also. So, it's a machlok as Rishonim whether Svira Sa'omer nowadays is Darais or Daraban. Is it just a Zechel Mikdash? So, since we assume that we have to count Svira at night, when does night begin? So, if we assume that Svira is a Divinat Torah, so then perhaps we should have to wait until Utsays to count Svira. While if we assume that Sphirah is a Dinder Abaran, Mikdash, so then we would have more latitude to start counting already at Shkia. Now it happens to be when dealing with Sphirah Sa'omer, there are unique considerations that converge. Because we're worried about missing a night of sphere. That's an unusual kind of issue which is really only relevant to that mitzvah. And if we miss a night of sphere, that's going to impact the whole rest of the performance. And we know that we're much more likely to remember to count Sphira when we're at a minion that's counting Sphira. So if you want it to be Machmir and wait till it says, so then that may mean that we won't be at a minion. If many people are davening at a Shkiah Mincha so if they want to wait for Seis in order to count Zvira, they won't be with a minion anymore, and the odds of them forgetting go way up. So it's kind of a trade-off. It could be a Chumra D'Asla Dei Kula, so if one wants to make sure he's with a group that will remind him, so then it seems to be safer to count in Shul, even though that's going to be maybe right after Shkia, maybe a few minutes after Shkia, but that's a big Tzad, to decide that it's worth the trade-off and to count Svirah right after skia When it comes to Megillah, so does the same cheshman apply? So should we say that and therefore we should be able to read the Megillah right after skia as well? So here there was a major machlokas and what we'll see is perhaps surprising is that Most of the achronim were machmir on this. In fact, the Bura quotes the Chayyadam, the B'chadash, or machmir, even B'diyavet, that if one were to read the Megillah tonight, after Shkia, before Tzeis, during Abayin Hashmashos, that they would have to read again later. So it's hard on the surface to understand exactly why that is. That on the one hand, so we could say, even if we assume something through Abadam Lukula, but maybe we should not be nichnas into a suffik so maybe it's still proper to wait for, say, even if there otherwise could have been a logic of <coughs> and one could argue that it's different than Sfirah Could argue that Sfirah S'omer could have been more Mahmir because even if Sfirah S'omer is drabanan, but it's clearly Ikaro Min HaTorah. It's clearly a mitzvah that is described by the Torah. We're only assuming that in the absence of HaKrav so we don't have the full circumstances to be obligated to Min and we do it as a Zechel Mikdash. But it starts as a mitzvah Min HaTorah. So sometimes that's a reason to be more Machmir. But like we said there's also a reason to be more Mako, that there is a risk in waiting when it comes to Sefira. You may come to lose the whole mitzvah. So maybe that's not worth it. But maybe when it comes to Megillah, so we don't have the same risk, perhaps. We don't necessarily have the reason to start earlier. So even if Tafek Lukula is true, but we wouldn't want to necessarily get into that l-kula. Although it seems like the Hayyadim is saying more than that. He's saying that even with the Eved, we wouldn't uh, rely on that. This was especially more relevant in the beginning of the COVID years, Which started around Purim time and relevant also the next Purim. So sometimes the scenario was that shuls and communities were doing things in shifts. They didn't want to have large crowds in the shul at once, so they were doing many more minyanim with fewer people. So that becomes especially challenging when you have a mitzvah b'tzibur that is narrowly in a certain time frame. and that doesn't have so much wiggle room. So the question was discussed there also is it Kedai to be more mekel, and to say that we could start reading the Megillah even during the earlier time because there is a need to create more reading, so it's not necessarily a Khafila situation. So that could be, that was a discussion at the time. But one reason why one might be more Machmir when it comes to Megillah. Is the assumption that maybe it should be treated like a Torah. So why is that? So even though Kriyas Megillah is not minatara, it's a man-made mitzvah, but it is related to us in the pasuk in the pasuk in Megillah Saster, and that puts it in a category known as Divre Kabbalah, which has nothing to do with mysticism, but that which is conveyed to us through tradition and is recorded in psukim the gemara calls that divrei kabbalah even if it's man-made so if it's in the torah but if it's in nach if it's in psukim even if it is something that was innovated by human beings but was conveyed to us through the navi so then that's called divrei kabbalah and the gemara has a statement in a very specific context, it's not clear that it would have been true for all intents and purposes, but the Gemara has a statement on Rosh Hashanah da ches, and Divrei Kabbalah Ki Torah Dami Divrei Kabbalah are treated like Divrei Torah, so again that's in a very narrow context, but the Terevan was written by the author of the Shagas and the Terevan understood that that meant that Sufik L'Chumrah that we treat all of the divrei Kabbalah, if there's a suffix, so we treat it like it is a and HaTara, that divrei Kabbalah, divrei taradami, means for all intents and purposes. Now, it could bring riots from a number of Rishonim that the Rishonim didn't necessarily hold that way, but this was a very influential position of the Shaghi and the Teri and in more recent centuries so this became the accepted position that we say that so that could mean that all the mitzvahs of Purim are treated with this greater stringency and maybe we should be machmir so maybe we should say that when it comes to when it comes to kriyasa megillah we should treat it like a demon and we therefore should wait for it to be fully night in order to do it so that could be but there is also a trial about that but the behuda has a chuvah in simon where he discussed the question that could come up let's say it's part of night and you're about to read the Megilla, the middle of the Megillah reading and there hasn't been a Levana yet, and people have been waiting to do Kiddush Levana, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the Megillah reading, somebody's eyes are wandering, and he notices that, oh, look, there's a moon, now's our one chance to do Kiddush Levana. So he got involved in that question of what mitzvah takes priority. Should we prioritize the Kriyas and Megillah? Should we prioritize the Kiddush Levana? So on the surface, you may say, "Well, kiddush is a din and what is kriyas megillah?" So kriyas megillah is also a or should we say that no, it's different kabbalah? So it's a different kabbalah. So then we should treat it like a divan perhaps. So the Noach Bihuda said, "Not so fast." He said that even if you maintain that the mitzvot of Purim are different kabbalah. And are treated luchuma, so that's true during the daytime. But the mitzvah of Megillah at night is not Tiferet Kabbalah. That that's not alluded to in the pasuk in Megillah Saster. It says hey Says the That's only talking about the daytime reading. But the nighttime reading that doesn't necessarily have the status of the Kabbalah. That's just a straight out dindarabana. And in fact, as the Binyin Shlomo suggests, Shlomo and Vilma, that it could be that it's actually a particularly late Dindar that he noticed, as others talk about as well, that you don't find references in the Mishnayos in Megillah to reading the Megillah at night, and that they only talk about reading the Megillah during the daytime. So, for example, the first Mishnah in Megillah talks about the special kula that was given to the people in the villages who had to supply the food to the people in the cities. So they were allowed to read the Megillah on the Yom on the day when they were gathering anyway, so they could read the Megillah on that day. So it didn't have to be the 14th. It could be the previous Monday or Thursday. So the round raises the question, well, how does that help them? Because, okay, Monday and Thursday they're gathering anyway... So to make the Megillah reading always a Monday or a Thursday morning, that's helpful for them. But what about the nighttime reading? So they're not gathering on a Sunday night and Wednesday night. So how is that addressed by this special dispensation? So that was a whole discussion how to relate to that. And Rav Shulman V'vilna suggests that maybe the Mishnah doesn't tell you what to do about that because maybe in the time of the Mishnah, they actually were not reading Megillah at night. And that that is a later Takana. That was a later practice. And indeed maybe that's how you could explain Shipa Sai Frank has a chuva where he understands that they were reading the in time of the Mishnah at night, but it was a mid It wasn't formalized as a din. Until later. So essentially, the Rod wants to say that when it comes to Megillah reading, yeah, maybe that's Dibre Kabbalah, but that's just the date time. That's all that's alluded to in the Passover But this extra reading at night, that's not Midibre So it's a big question whether that has Nafkaminas. There are those who wanted to suggest it has uh, Nafkaminas for various things. Uh, It's hard to go too far with that. Say briefly, but that should perhaps affect this question, you know, not necessarily to Darshan to too extreme a degree about this, but just as far as the assumption that Megillah should be treated in an unusually machmir way, so the no to be who to assume that that would only be during the daytime, but at night, then that's not part of the Dibra Kabbalah and that wouldn't be subject to that same Chumrim. So far so good? Everybody with me? So that wouldn't necessarily explain why it is that we should be Machmir, but in any event, that certainly seems to be the dominant mimic that there is a desire to wait until it is dark in order to wait we it's fully dark, until kochavin, in order to fulfill the mitzvah of the Megillah. The notable exception to this, notable because of his stature, and also notable that despite that stature, he hasn't impacted the bottom line here, is the view of the Shulchan Aruch. So the Mechaber had a position, he parallels both in Chanukah and Purim, but the later postkin didn't really accept it in either case, which is interesting. But both, when it comes to Hanukkah and to Purim, the Machaber said that you can pull back already to Plag, and that you can light Hanukkah candles after Plag. And that was particularly controversial. The later post didn't accept that at all, the view of the Machaber, that you can light Hanukkah candles after Plag. And when it comes to Megillah reading, so the Machaber says also that could be done after Plag. So here we see that there's a pretty extreme disagreement that the Chayadah was saying that even after shkia if it's before it says, you're not going to be Yotze even to be Abed. And the Shulchan Aruch was maintaining that you could even start earlier. You could even read the Megillah after plot. But the interesting thing is, so the context of how he was discussing that. So what was his assumption as a motivation? Why would you want to read the Megillah earlier? So he discusses there somebody who is feeling very weak, somebody who feels like he can't handle the fast anymore and he just has to eat. So the Shulchan Aruch Machaber said that in such a situation you can push up the Megillah reading earlier so that the individual will be able to eat earlier. So you could ask the question, well, why do you need that? Why is the assumption that if I need to break my fast, if I'm feeling very weak and I'm looking for a heter to eat as soon as possible, why should we tie that in to reading the Megillah? It doesn't seem like they're actually connected, that the Megillah wouldn't be on the surface the, the Havdalah of Penisaster. And what's really the connection between reading the Megillah and breaking the fast? On the surface, there isn't really one. The fact that we break the fast after reading the Megillah is really because the fast has already ended, but we have a mitzvah in front of us, and we don't want to eat before performing the mitzvah. So, therefore, we do the mitzvah first, like we would by tikkia shofar or lulav or things like that. So, that being the case. So if somebody was really plotting, if somebody really couldn't go on, they're not going to be able to read the McGill, let's say, if they don't have something to eat or to drink. So then why shouldn't they be able, certainly, let's say, to drink some water then? You know, the fast really is over. It's just that they have a mitzvah in front of us that we don't want to lose. So that should allow for some very light eating so why it is that the machabra says oh if the person is so desperate to eat so then he a to push the megillah up earlier why do you need that? why doesn't he just end the fast whenever he ends it and then read the megillah later so that probably is the attitude of halacha l'maysa It's probably the attitude of other postgames that you know, if somebody were to finish tiny sester but the Megillah reading wasn't going to happen for a while for whatever reason. So then that would change things and certainly if a person is feeling weak would be able to drink water or the like at that point. So why is the Mechaber not assuming that way? So it seems like where the Mechaber is coming from is that he's assuming that there should really be a seamless flow from Tainus Esther into the reading of the Megillah, that there is a major part of the drama here that's being illustrated. That the Jews fasted and that fast was successful, and they were able to bring about a reversing of the decree. So we want to commemorate that by fasting also. So it's not a, a sad fast day like we said before. So we could push it up, we say that this is not subject to the rule of Akhtamune Akhtume Nisa that we don't want to push up Araneus. So that's not the case when it comes to tainus Esther, because it's treated as a tainus But maybe also a part of that is that it is meant to be the lead-in to the Megillah, that it's meant to be the theme that brings us in to the Kriyasa Megillah as part of the story. So the question, as Ezra was asking before, about what kinds of intent should we have when listening to Megillah? So we know that certainly it's a uh, person It's meant to publicize the Karish Baruch salvation, but specifically a salvation that comes mito Hester, that here God's presence is not being stated out loud. His name is not mentioned and the recognition that in times of great crisis, we can find the salvation in a way that is not necessarily a nice nigla, not necessarily so obvious and undeniable but that we recognize that that too is the hand of the Rabbanu that too is our Kadesh Baruch Hu guiding us, so that is a particular theme that is maybe unique to perm. You know, when it came to Hanukkah, so there was actually the same risk, theoretically, that the military victory was really the key to why Hanukkah is to be celebrated. And there also, there's the possibility that one observed that and say, that the Jews were able to prevail at that time because they were the superior army. And they wouldn't necessarily appreciate a Karish Baruch role in it. So to that, as the morale explains, that the naes of the Pacha sheven, of the oil lasting eight days, which as far as necessary miracles, it wasn't on the same standard, didn't have the same role in terms of saving the Jewish people, but it was more overtly miraculous, and therefore able to point to that as the undeniable evidence of a Karish Barakul Sashka and that is the case when it comes to Hanukkah, when it comes to Purim, so God is hidden, and that's like the Gemara says, the in Where do you find Esther in the Torah? And the answer is, has to that we're not able to perceive him directly, and yet, Karish uh, Barhu is still running things and still saving us from tremendous threats. So, that is one of the major themes of the Megillah, for sure, and that's something that we find throughout the repeated allusions, the notion of a Melech, a Melech who we're not spelling out which Melech it is, and yet we all know, and how that's supposed to be incorporated into our consciousness. And... Our role in turning to God and asking for salvation, so the role of the tefillah and of the fasting, so that becomes a crucial part of the day. So perhaps the initial conception, we want to have the Kriya Samagillah run right in to... Will come right out of, rather, Tynos ester. And it's more important for us to have that flow, for us to have that connection from tinus ester into the Megillah. that's more important than waiting until absolute dark, according to the Shochnach. Again, the later postkin did not accept this, didn't accept his position by menorah, and didn't accept his position here either. So apparently, go back to the default that we would have assumed, that if a person is ploting, let him have some water, let him have a little bit to eat. But that doesn't provide any reason to read the Miguel earlier, but the view of the Machaber that it does. So that's perhaps emphasizing that idea, that the Kriya is enhanced by the tinyness before it and that connects directly to it. So this notion of Prasuma is a particularly crucial one. We know we go to great lengths in order to make sure that we fulfill Prasuma Nisa mitzvahs in general and the Prasumayanisa character of Kriya Megillah it is particularly significant. There was a whole discussion in the Rishonin that the Gemara says, Mavatlin Avoda Mishon Mikra that uh, Mikra Megillah, because of its Persuman Nisa aspect, is so important that we will allow that to override the Avoda and the Beit HaMikdash. So it was a in the Rishonim and the early and what that meant. Because presumably, we're not going to Actually choose Megillah over the Avoda. if the assumption is that we have a limited time frame And all we can do is one we can either do the Avoda or Mikra Megillah So to say that we would do Mikra Megillah is difficult as the Rishonim will point out That the Avoda is a Dindra and the Megillah is a Dindra So why would we prioritize the Dindra Over the Dindra so they assume that Mavatlin means something else that Mavatlin means that since they normally brought the kabanos at the beginning of the day and now they have to wait so that is considered a bitl on some level and the idea that Megillah is prioritized, Megillah is read first before the Avoda so that itself is a kiyum in Persumenisa that itself shows us the value of the nace and puts greater emphasis on it so that's in terms of that view but there are others who seem to understand that maybe the din is really what it literally sounds like and that if we had to choose one if we had to choose either the Megillah or the Avodah we would choose Megillah so why is that? if Megillah is a din how could it take priority over a din Manhatara? so the Taz discusses there that it could be like we said before that maybe Megillah is not a Dindarabana, and maybe it's different Kabbalah and maybe it has a status like Dibrei it could be but one way or another it still just would make it equal so the idea that we should actually be Doche the Avoda for Mikra Megillah which is a minority view here but that's very striking so I thought the answer was that it has to do with the nature of pursuing Isa that we find that pursuing has a tremendous chumra to it and we really go out of our way to make sure that we can fulfill pursuing without any excuses so for example when it comes to Hanukkah even though normally when it comes to mitzvahs in general if you can't afford a mitzvah, even a mitzvah in a Torah, it's going to cost you more than a fifth of your money so we assume that you are exempt, your potter. And yet, when it comes to Hanukkah candles, so the Rambam and the Shulchan say that mitzvah Chayaviva that we have to go to great lengths to make sure we fulfill the mitzvah of lighting Hanukkah candles. And even if you can't afford it, you have to sell your clothes, you have to go knocking on doors, you have to do whatever it takes in order to be able to fulfill that mitzvah of Ne'erist Hanukkah. So the Magad Mishnah explains but that that's because it's the mitzvah of Prishomei and we have this great severity because the Mishnah says in the beginning of the 10th Parak of that when it comes to Dalar Kosos, even a very poor person who's taking money from the public fund is still obligated in Dalar Kosos and it sounds like there that's because of this notion of Prishomei Nisa so if that's the case so then when it comes to hanukkah candles that's like. on my explains that because it's driven by presuming so we have to do whatever we can to fulfill it so it's difficult to understand why that is because still it didn't and the avid are explained in a tshuva that the purpose is that when it comes to person it's about communication and therefore it has to actually happen you can't rely on excuses you can't say well i tried so i'm off the hook you have to actually get the message across so that's a special chumrah when it comes to persimmonisa and theoretically that could explain why we would say that we're even going to have a higher standard for a mitzvah persimmonisa than it would be for a demon hat so that explanation what that means is that Pursuing is not necessarily more chomer than other things, but it means that it's more urgent, essentially, that it has to happen urgently because it cannot be accomplished without it. When it comes to other mitzvah, it comes to tefillin or sukkah. So we might say, Om patre, A person can't be held responsible for that, which he can't do. But when it comes to these mitzvahs of Pursuing apparently it's a big priority. You have to make sure that it actually... Happens So if that's the case, so that could also explain the position when it comes to Megillah. So why should we say that there's any view at all that says if we have to choose between the Avoda and Mikra Megillah, we would choose Mikra Megillah. Avoda is Minah and Mikra Megillah is Terabonim. So it seems like, based on this Yisod, that it's not necessarily about relative severity, The idea that we might prioritize one thing over the other it's not only because that thing is more hammer than the other sometimes that's the reason but sometimes we prioritize something because of urgency because it needs to happen absolutely and can't rely on any other avenues so therefore the more something is in that category the more something is urgent the more it's going to be prioritized so that could explain why even the Avoda would step aside for the Megillah, because not to say Megillah is more important, but it is more urgent in that sense, because the persuminisa has to actually take place, and you can't rely on any excuses. So when it comes to persuminisa, this is a huge idea. And that has tremendous relevance to us. So the notion of Prasuminisa as it relates to Purim is certainly a key theme, and we find that that's driving a lot of the chumra of Megillah. So when it comes to what Persimmonisa is about, and why we're so much more about it, so we just mentioned the Avni Nazar as one approach, and Rav Salavechik had an additional approach, and Rav Salveitchik explained that the idea of Persimmonisa is that Persimmonisa is a type of tefillah. It's a type of prayer that we're basically saying that uh, Barucho, you've provided us with miracles in the past and we'd like more miracles we want more things that are going to happen to rescue us and to save us so the appreciation that's conveyed through the person is itself a type of tefillah so so Bechik explained that that's shot on the rambam the rambam says you have to uh, go begging you have to do whatever it takes in order to fulfill this din that that reflects the fact that person is a tefillah or more so it's a little bit incongruous that here we're asking a kadesh baruchu to go outside of his budget so to speak but normally he runs the world Chateva, and we're saying now we should take a step out of that and do something miraculous so it's a little incongruous for us to say yes we're looking for miracles and to make that point, we have allotted exactly 19.9% of our funds, not one second more, not one cent more. So it, it seems like if we're looking to ask God to go above and beyond, we have to also go above and beyond. So that reflects the fact that our Purusha is a tefillah, is a way of trying to communicate with God and saying that we recognize how far we've gotten because he's watching over us and that uh, we want him to continue to do that and we want to uh, make that message as clearly as possible that he should continue providing us with these nisim and keeping us safe and keeping the Torah safe so if that's one of the themes of Megillah and that that is emphasized through having tiny saster beforehand so that's something we should really be thinking about today that we know that Israel has had a very very difficult few weeks months and the tsaras and the attacks on the Jewish people have been devastating and heartbreaking and perhaps if the notion of is that we are looking to get more miracles so then our focus becomes also trying to get a that is going to fully accomplish that and especially this added component that if we say that Titus Esther flows into the Kriya Megillah in order to emphasize its own message and to say that the miracle happened also because we turned to a Karish Baruch Hu and we did everything we could to fix our own mistakes and to express tshuva and to convert that into the form of a tefillah and to do everything we can to turn our direction towards the Kadesh Baruch Hu in as ready of state as we're able to be. So that was a tzchus, and it's a time when we need that tzchus again. We need the uh, Baruch Hu to do miracles. We need the world to be a safer place for Jews, and for everyone, and to be a harmonious place for everyone, and therefore, our hope should be that our ancestors today, our Zman Ki Hulu call is one that actually realizes its potential and that we should come together in a sense of true achdus and through the true, true tshuva and that we should be successful in having a Kodesh Baruch Hu hear our prayers and should be able to turn things around and that we shouldn't know any more loss and any more suffering. So we should be zochet to have a truly Freylichem Purim, and a Purim that is successful in all of its goals of Kershomin okay. and in its victory over the forces of Amalek, the forces of terrorism, the forces that seek to eliminate the Jewish people. Karish Baruch who has in the past helped us to prevail over those forces. And so too, the Kriyas HaMegillah and the performance aspect of it, the tightness and the attention to the goals of the day, we should be Zohar, that we should again see Nisim and a flows, and we should know only truly joyous, firm celebrations. Okay, so I guess to that ends.